0: Thanks for tuning in to Horizon Community Church's podcast. Our hope and prayer is that wherever you are, you would be encouraged by this message and be equipped to face any challenges that come your way. More information about Horizon can be found at www.horizonweb.org. Good morning, Horizon. It is such an honor and a privilege to be here and bring the message this week and next week. Um, If you don't know me yet, my name is Danish and I'm the youth pastor. I normally preach to young people, high schoolers and college kids. Um, But I hope that I can do it with you guys as well. Um, And I have a lot planned for today, so I'm just going to get into it. And if you remember, last time I spoke was right before Christmas. And I spoke about this understanding of the scripture as a big story. A story that has a lot of different chapters, and we know the beginning of the story, and we know the end of the story, and we live in the middle, try to figure out what does it mean to be followers of Christ in the now. And and as every good story, again, it has chapters, and it has plot twists, and it has turning points as we go from one chapter to another and things change, right? If you watch a good movie or read a good book, you want a good plot twist. You want things to change to the unexpected. Um, And so Christmas is one of those days, right? Where, Where Christ comes, the Messiah comes, but he's born in Bethlehem and no one expected that to take place. And today we're gonna talk about another major event that is a plot twist, a turning point in the story of God. According to the Christian calendar today, is the day of Pentecost. Uh, and Pentecost was a Jewish holiday at first, called uh, Shavuot. Um, and it was the 50th day after Passover. And uh, primarily it was an agricultural festival. It was the time the first harvest came in and they, they gave an offering to God to praise him. But it was also a celebration of Israel's history. Um, they, they, uh, they, yeah, Passover is the day right when uh, God led Uh, the people of Israel out of Egypt. That was the day of Passover. Um, And then 50 days later, they arrive at the mountain of Sinai and they receive the law from God. And so I found this this amazing painting that has kind of both stories on it, as we see that often the stories in the Bible all overlay each other. On on the right side, you see Moses receiving the law on the day of Pentecost uh, as they came out of Egypt. And then centuries later, we see the first church receiving the spirit on the same day. Um, And Pentecost is a plot twist, a turning point, Um, although Jesus tells the disciples that the spirit is going to come, um, but they don't, ex- they don't exactly know how. And they don't exactly know what that means or what that's going to look like. So let's read the story of uh, Pentecost from um, Acts chapter two. I'm gonna read the whole, uh, not the whole story, but the first half of the story, uh, Acts chapter two, verses one to 21. I'm reading from the NLT, so sorry to anybody who are NIV people, um, but you can follow along on the screen or your own translation on your phone or in your Bible. Um, And let's open our hearts as we listen to God's word this morning and and allow him to speak into our life. This is what we read in Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parsons, Maids, Alemites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own language about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them saying, they are just drunk, that's all. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this, these people are not drunk as some of you are assuming nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. Now what you see here was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on on the earth below blood and fire and clouds of smoke, the sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before the great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. And Peter continues this sermon. He talks about Jesus and how he had to die and how he resurrected. And then we know the end of the story as the crowd responds and 3,000 of, 3, of them become believers and are baptized on that day. Um, and maybe it doesn't look like this in the short passage, but it is a very significant turning point in the story. The Spirit changes everything. That's what I titled my sermon, The Spirit Changes Everything, because the Spirit, as it comes, announces a new age. And we start to see how it unfolds in this story. The Spirit announces a new age, a new reality for the people of God, where, where things are overturned. The rules have changed and God is doing something radically new in this time to a new community in ways they could not have imagined it earlier. So I wanna look at four ways how the Spirit changes things this morning. Four ways how he's, he's bringing in this new age in the story of God and the story of God's people. The first one is this, as the Spirit comes, it reverses the curse and fulfills the promises. It might sound weird at first, what kind of curse are we talking about? But if you read, again, the big story of God, it's full of promises and blessings and covenants and even curses over the sin of humanity. And, um, and I want to look at how this day starts to, uh, starts to reverse some of these curses and fulfill some of these promises. But first, I want to start with a question. Um, that as you listen to this story, if you've read this story before, maybe you, you pose this question, why the first miracle that the Spirit comes and, and does, uh, the ability to speak other languages? Right? If, uh, if, if I'm sure you played that mind game before when someone asks, right, if you can choose an ability, a superpower, what would it be? And I'm almost certain no one ever said, I want to speak another language. <laughs> right? That would be kind of like, you could have chosen anything. So why is the Spirit making this miracle? I mean, Jesus never performed this miracle. He never used this ability to speak other languages. We don't really see it anywhere else in the Bible. So why why is this the first miracle the Spirit does as He fills uh, the disciples? And even we see it in the crowd, the surprise, right? As as they see these people from Galilee, these rednecks from Israel, right? How can they speak languages and what does this mean? What does it mean that the Spirit comes and the church speaks in new languages? And the clue is in verse six um, where we read, when they heard a loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own language being spoken by the believers. And the CSB says a crowd came together and was confused because of the languages. Now think of a Bible story where a crowd was confused and there were languages involved. Yes, the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter one, way before this story, the very beginning of the Bible, we see people coming together trying to build a tower, right? So that they can have a name for themselves. And God says, as he looks down on this tower, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages then they won't be able to understand each other. And it continues, in that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world and they stopped building the city. This is why the city was called Babel, because this is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, he scattered them all over the world. I hope you see the parallel. God in Genesis curses humanity with different languages and disunity in order to weaken evil. He does this out of his love. He confuses their languages so that evil would not reign over earth. And then in Acts, we see God reversing this curse by allowing people to speak different languages, removes the language barrier so unity can be present again. And it's a sign of blessing over humanity. This is how things should be where we understand each other. In in, in Genesis, we we see the people had to be stopped because they wanted to build their own kingdom and find a name for themselves. In Acts, the Holy Spirit enables and empowers a new people to build his kingdom, kingdom of God that would reign over all nations. In Genesis, people are divided and scattered. At Pentecost, people are gathered and united to become a new humanity, which God predestined in Christ. God's grace is all over this story already as as the salvation that Christ has achieved is taking effect and the world is being restored through the Spirit's work in the church. Um, So that's the curse that's being reversed in this one but I said it's also fulfilled some of the promises and blessings that God gave because right after the story of Babel, we we get to the story of Abraham where very early on God makes a promise to him he says, I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Pentecost is this plot twist that no one, no one really knew or when and how is going to happen. How is this, this promise is being fulfilled? But they knew that God will do this one day. And, and, and you can see that, that the Bible is full of these clues, right? Like a good movie has clues and Easter eggs that point to what's going to happen. And maybe the first time you're watching it through, you don't notice it. And then you watch it again, you're like, how did I not see that? Right? It was all there all along. God works like this in this beautiful story as it unfolds. There, he, he gave us the clues. He told us what's going to happen. And yet we miss it sometimes. But now we see it fulfilled, as God foretold that uh, through the election of Abraham, Israel is not just for its own sake, but that through it one day all nations and the whole earth will be blessed. This blessing again is achieved through Christ, and as the Spirit comes and the multitude of nations hear God's mighty works being proclaimed in their own languages, it is a fulfillment of that promise. It is a beginning of this new age where God is blessing. God's blessing is not limited to Israel anymore, but everybody's welcome. And through, through Israel, through the des- descendant of Abraham, through the Jewish Messiah, all nations of the earth are being blessed. And, at, and Pentecost is just the beginning. I mean, this is just the first moment where it starts. And as we read the book of Acts or Paul's letters, we see a, as nation after nations and territory after territories being blessed as the gospel is preached in their own languages. And then we see the final fulfillment of this promise, if you wanna look forward a little bit, in the book of Revelation, As John sees something very similar, as he has this vision of heaven, to what happened in Pentecost. This is what we read in Revelation chapter seven. After this I looked and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people and language which no one could number standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who's seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Notice what it says, right? Our our Bible is translated to English, so we read these words in English, but the crowd is not worshiping in English. The crowd is worshiping in multitude of languages as they praise God, just like the disciples at Pentecost. From from, uh, Babel to Abraham, through the Spirit's work, all the way to Revelation, we see how God's story is unfolding, how His grace is restoring creation and humanity of how it meant to be. And I hope we see this plot twist, right? As, as, as when the spirit comes, this is when things start to change. So that was the first point. The second one, the spirit changes uh, ways, the spirit changes the way Christ is present in our world. I'm gonna get some help, thank you. Um, so Jesus, as he was here, he promised two things before he left. All right, second point. Um, as the Spirit comes, it changes the way Christ is present in our world. That's my second point, okay? Uh, Jesus, before he left, made two promises. One was, I will, or, or he made several prophe- uh, promises, but here's two of them. He said, I will always be with you. That's what he told his disciples. And second, I will send the Holy Spirit to you. And these two things are connected because when the Spirit comes, he continues the work started in Christ. Restoring all of creation, ushering in the new creation, announcing the gospel of the kingdom, uh, a time of God's rule. And Christ himself was filled with the spirit. And, and through the spirit's power, he performs miracles and, and casts out demons and multiplies food um, and preaches the gospel of the kingdom to Israel. But Jesus was present as one human, right? And, um, and he was limited by human things as a human, He got tired, his voice only traveled as as any other humans. Uh, He had to walk to places, Um, he he had to sleep, and and so on. All the things that we as humans do. But now the spirit comes and fills the church with the presence and power of Jesus in a whole new way. First, as Christ's presence came, he was bound by his humanity, right? He limited himself uh, for our sake to accomplish the work of salvation, but now Christ comes through the spirit as fire and wind, and wind has no bounds, and fire cannot be stopped or, or described, defined exactly. First, Jesus came to the particular. He came to a 30-year a period of time in human history to one uh, specific piece of land we call Israel that was, that was small, and he, he spoke in that one time to a certain amount of people that he was able to speak to. But now through Christ, I mean, through the Spirit, Christ comes through the universal, without bounds. The disciples continue Christ's mission. They proclaim the same gospel that Jesus did, but they proclaim it in languages Jesus never did and in places Jesus never walked. You see, through the Spirit, they are empowered to continue what Jesus started. It is Christ's presence in them, but they go beyond what happened before, and the 12, and then the 120, and then the 3,000 disciples at Pentecost becomes this worldwide movement. As this wind, like an unstoppable wildfire going through the earth, continuing to speak and act under the Lordship of Christ, and living out of His mighty power. But understand this, the Spirit does not replace Jesus, okay? Um, Because we believe that the Spirit and Jesus are one. And I don't wanna go too deep into it, but this is the mystery of the Trinity that we cannot comprehend, but yet we believe it, uh, that the one in three, that we see the Father, the Son, and the Spirit work in different ways, and they even interact with each other, but we don't believe in three gods. So the presence of the Spirit is the presence of Christ. The work of the Spirit is the work of Jesus. And the Spirit continues Christ's mission and manifests his presence in a radically new way. So this is the second point, how the Spirit changes everything. Christ's presence is, is with us in a whole new way and unleashes uh, the, the, the gospel of the cross through the spiritual community of the church. The third point is this, in this new age, the Spirit calls all nations into one community. Pentecost is called the birthday of the church. It's a birthday celebration today. Um, As we were singing earlier in that last song, and the church of Christ was born, then the spirit lit the flame. Such a beautiful line as we we think through, again, the story of Jesus and the gospel. The spirit comes and the church is born. And a huge shift takes place of what we call the people of God. As Peter finishes his sermon on the day of Pentecost, the crowd asks, what should we do? And this is how he responds. Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you, then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promises to you and to your children and to those who are far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Peter says that it is not just Jews anymore who can join, but anyone who God calls And while in the Old Testament, belonging to God uh, was mostly dependent to physical birth, to belonging to the nation of Israel, you had to be a Jew to be part of Israel. Now, a spiritual birth is the sign of belonging to God's people. Jesus himself tried to explain this when he had that conversation with Nicodemus. In John 3, this is what we read as they're having this conversation. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the spirit. Physical birth Ethnic, national belonging is now replaced by this mysterious thing that Jesus talks about being born of the Spirit. So the miracle of speaking in languages, again, it's not just a practical one. The Spirit didn't give them the languages so that they don't need a translator. Most likely, they didn't actually need a translator. Most of the people who were there probably spoke Greek. That was kind of the universal language of that age. It is a sign, it's something bigger. This miracle is a sign that God is welcoming all nations and languages into His church. And what is interesting about this miracle of languages, as I as I mentioned with Babel, is not it's not a full reverse. They don't go back to just everyone able to speak one language, but rather everyone heard the gospel in their own language. It's a sign that the Spirit is now creating a new type of community, a multi-ethnic, multilingual community, the church. He creates a community in Christ where there is unity in diversity, not some sort of uniformity where we're all the same. The differences don't disappear, just the boundaries that we put up, the walls we put up based on our differences. And as we read in Revelations, the differences are still there even in the new creation. The languages and tribes and cultures and, and the beauty of God's creation in humanity is still present. The crowd in heaven is made up of people with different languages. And next week, I'll be continuing talking about the spirit and I'll be looking at a story where the spirit literally has to push the church forward to live out this vision because it was so radical that it's not just Jews and it's not just the Jewish people anymore that even Peter, the person who preaches this sermon did not fully understand. What does that mean then? Let's get to the fourth point. Um, in this new age, the Spirit fills the church in a new way. This third one was, right, that the Spirit invites all people into the church, but now I wanna focus on the church and how the Spirit fills the church in a new way. In the first four verses, uh, this is what we read. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like a roaring of mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. All the believers, all of them who were present. No one was left out from this miracle. And we know there was at least 120 disciples at this time who were gathering after Jesus has uh, ascended to heaven. And all of them were filled with the Spirit. And this is, this is, again, this huge change compared to how the Holy Spirit worked in the Old Testament. I love that little video that we watched from the Bible Project talking about this, the work of the Spirit throughout the Bible, right? And we, we heard that in the Old Testament, it was only special people. It was only priests, some artists, uh, some kings, some, some judges, uh, some prophets who were filled with the Spirit, and they were enabled um, to do amazing things for God. They, have, they were given special powers and abilities to serve the rest of God's people. But now in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, because, uh, because of Christ, this miracle happens that we can all be filled with the Spirit. We are all enabled as a community to be God's presence, to be in His presence, to serve each other with the gifts that the Spirit gives us. This is what we call the priesthood of all believers, that were all priests in God's new kingdom. That previous hierarchy that they had in the Old Testament of, of value and ministry and cleanliness uh, and closeness to God is, ab- is abolished. That's how they had it, God was on the top and then these spirit-filled people, priests, prophets, kings, and then the Jewish men and maybe the women and, and, and there was this ranking. And now that is gone. Now the indwelling of the spirit is not dependent on your rank, on your title, on your ministry, or your gender, or your age, or your wealth, or any other thing among the people of God. This is what Peter says as he quotes the prophet Joel. In the last day, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. For your sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams, even on my servants both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. This is a whole new way how the spirit works in God's people. It means that we're not dependent as believers on a few spirit-filled leaders, priests, kings, prophets, celebrity pastors, or or famous best-selling authors. It means that the spirit is filling the community And that is so important that now the Spirit fills the community rather than just these select individuals. Because another misunderstanding that we can have at Pentecost is, yes, now the Spirit comes and I become self-sufficient spiritually. That's a misunderstanding. I don't need the church anymore because I have the Spirit. I don't need anybody. I don't have to depend on anybody because I have the Spirit. But that's not what the story tells us. It says that we become actually dependent on each other. The Spirit is distributed. We all have the Spirit. We can all be filled with the Spirit fully, but I don't own the Spirit. I don't have all of the Spirit. I don't have all the talents and revelations and wisdom that the Spirit gives, and it means I need what the Spirit has given you, and you need what the Spirit has given me. I need what the Spirit has given you, and you need what the Spirit has given me. Pentecost, therefore, is this this democratization of the Holy Spirit, the great equalizer, one spirit working in all, in variety of ways for the benefit of the whole church and the glory of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this is what we read. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. This is a whole new way as the Spirit comes and changes everything and changes how the people of God operate, how we serve each other in this community. So let's recap these four ways. These are the four ways the Spirit changes everything that I mentioned. The Spirit reverses the curse, the curse of Babel, and fulfills the promises the promise given to Abraham. The Spirit then changes the way Christ is present in the world. Christ is not limited by his humanity, but now as a, in his, through his Spirit, it fills the community and the world. The Spirit then calls all people into a new community. It's not just Jews anymore, but all nations are part of God's kingdom. And fourth, the Spirit fills the people of God in the whole new way. And the question then, what we ask as we, as we, as we think through these things, the same question that the crowd at Pentecost asked of Peter, what should we do? They felt God is speaking to them, and they ask this question, what should we do? How did we live in line with this story of what just happened? The story has changed. What do I do now? How does the Spirit change our church or my life as a believer? And I want to give three points of application or encouragement for us as we as we think about this question. And the first one is this, be filled with the Spirit. It's a simple one, right? But, but we still need this reminder. If the first disciples were filled with the Spirit, we need to be filled with the Spirit. And there's so many different theologies, okay, around the Spirit. Um, I recognize that about spirit baptism among Baptists and Evangelicals and Pentecostals. There's, there's disagreements of what it looks like or, um, or how should we do it. But we all agree as Christians that being filled with the spirit is part of the life of the believer. And the Bible tells us uh, both that we can, um, we can quench or stifle the spirit That we can have this negative attitude towards the spirit. That we can forget about it. We can ignore it. We can refuse to rely on it. Or we can awaken it. We can welcome it. That we can actively participate in listening to the spirit. In worshiping in the spirit. And we can experience being filled with the spirit again and again. As he gives us his presence and his powers. To accomplish the task that he has called us to do and we can't explain it all i love how jesus himself as he's talking about being filled with the spirit and born of the spirit he says i can't explain it fully it's a mystery for us and we have to be okay with that mystery as we come to god and ask for his spirit to fill us the wind blows wherever it wants it's like a wind you don't know where it begins you don't know where it ends but we can pay attention to the wind I can tell when I'm outside on a windy day, is it windy or not. I can tell which way it blows and I can choose to walk with it or I can choose to walk against it. And so that's the first point that God is calling us, be filled with the Spirit, walk with the Spirit, pay attention to the wind of where it goes and submit your life to it. The second point is this, see yourself and others as a Spirit-filled agent, right? If this. Um, If this is true, what I said, that the Spirit is creating a new type of community where all of us are welcomed into it and all of us are filled with the Spirit and given power to serve each other, then then I have to see myself and the other person as Spirit-filled agents. And that means, in practice, that every gathering, every, whether on Sunday or any other day of the week, I have to come to every gathering of the church with the question, what has the Spirit given me to share? What has the Spirit given me to share, to give? I need to feel that responsibility. I can't just sit back and enjoy what maybe the Spirit has given to the other person. I have to take responsibility and say, what what has the Spirit given me to share? How can I bless the church? How can I bless my fellow believer this day? And how can I show God's blessing or display God's goodness maybe those who are not believers yet? We are spiritual agents, not just in the church, but out in the world, in our jobs, in our families, wherever we are. And we must seek how the Spirit wants to use us. What are the tasks and missions He gives us? And on the other side of this statement, I have to see the other person as a spiritual agent as well. And sometimes that's difficult too. Right? I like to see myself as, as someone who has power and ability and words from God, but it's harder to see the other person that way. But if it is true, it means I have to give space for the other person to speak. And as they do, I need to submit to the spirit that works through them. And it might mean listening more and being quiet more. It might mean I have to reorder the way we meet in a small group or in any event to make sure that we don't miss anything that the Spirit has given to our church. That nothing is forgotten, that nothing is left behind. Again, I need what the Spirit has given you. And you need what the Spirit has given me. And my third point um, is this, learn a language. It may be a funny one or a shock one at first, but if I want to live in line with this story where the Spirit's first miracle is that they are able to speak languages, I have to at least ask, is God calling me to speak another language? If this is somehow part of God's design, maybe I need to learn a language, both literally and figuratively. It means I want to be an active participant in the mission that the Spirit sends us to bring the gospel to the whole world by the whole church, it might mean I need to learn another language, maybe just a few words, you don't have to be fluent. Maybe you do. So that I can speak with my Mexican neighbor, so that I can speak with my Korean neighbor, I can speak with my Hungarian neighbor, whatever it is, so that we're able to communicate the gospel to those who are around us. Learning a language for me is what enabled me to be here. This is my second language I'm speaking right now. I am born in Hungary, I, was, I, I spoke Hungarian my whole life, but because I learned a language, God allowed me to be part of so many different ministries as a translator or as a pastor in so many different ways. That's how God blesses the church to different languages and different nations. And I wish I would have the gift of speaking languages like Pentecost, right? And I can make that excuse, well, if the spirit wants me, he'll give me that gift, right? No, even if I don't have that gift, it doesn't mean I don't have the responsibility to learn a language. I can't multiply food like Jesus, yet I am called to feed the hungry. I can't walk on water, yes, yet I'm called to walk on my feet. I can't heal people with my power, but I might be able to pay for someone's medical bill, like the Good Samaritan in that story Jesus gave us. I can't write letters like Paul did, yet I am called to proclaim the gospel to the best way I can with my words. Yeah, I don't have the gift of languages from the Holy Spirit, but I might need to learn another language to proclaim the gospel to those around me. And again, as I said, it might be literally that you need to actually pick up a language course so you can show love and preach the gospel to someone, but it might be figuratively. It might just mean learning a new culture, appreciate someone else's way of living and eating and celebrating and getting to know them. Maybe you speak the same language, but yet we are such a different community that we have nothing in common. And I need to start learning who you are and how you live and what you appreciate And how can I speak the gospel into your situation? Learning about a group or community that's foreign to me. And celebrating the diversity again that God gave us to humanity. And and so that we can show this love that God has given us and we can communicate the gospel efficiently. So that's my three three applications that I want you to, to take with you today. And I believe that through these things, as we are as a church filled with the Spirit, as we see ourselves and others as Spirit-filled agents, as we learn new languages and step out of our close community and celebrate the culture and appreciate someone else's culture, we ourselves will participate in reversing the curse of Babel. And we ourselves will be part as God is fulfilling His promises and blessings until the Spirit comes, I mean, until through the Spirit we will break down every human boundary and we will bring every nation and people under the Lordship of Christ. And one day we will sing together in the new creation as we read in Revelation, you are worthy to take the scroll and break its seal and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed the people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign on earth. Amen. Let's pray together. I, I brought a prayer that I want us to, to pray as a church, as a community. Again, that's what I talked about, that, that it is not, it's not the person on stage. It's all of us together, filled with the Spirit. So I want us to lift our voices together as we, as we invite the Spirit, as we, as we ask the Spirit to work in us, Let's pray with me, let's pray these words together. Holy Spirit, you pour yourself out on the people of the early church. Pour yourself out on us now. Holy Spirit, you set their tongues on fire with languages so as to speak to one another in ways that could be understood. Set our tongues on fire to speak in different languages and ways so others might hear the good news about Jesus. Jesus, You said you had to go away so that the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the counselor would come, and it was so. Come once again, Holy Spirit, as the advocate that we all need, as the counselor that we all need, and as the helper we all need. Come Holy Spirit, fan your flames of love and empowerment. Set us on fire for you once again. Bring life to each of our dry bones. Amen, amen. Next week, I'll be continuing talking about the Holy Spirit. That will be part two of how the Spirit changes everything. Um, but I wanted to give a, just a word of warning that the service will be different, okay? Um, I'm planning to do a different style of, of service to express something of what I talked about today again. Um, to have a, a service where we worship God and spirit together as a community, um, and hopefully it be less about me and more about us. Um, and so that means it's gonna be more of a liturgical service. It will be prayers and readings. There will be no worship block and sermon block, okay? But we'll kind of cut it up. Um, and I will lead you guys on this, on this journey as we go through scripture and prayer and all of those things. You don't have to be worried about it. I will tell you what to do. Um, But I want to give you two homeworks, okay? We don't normally do this in a sermon, so. Um, But I want to give you two homeworks to prepare for that service. And one is, the first one is, I want you to pay attention this week, especially, we should always, but pay attention to what God is doing and how the Holy Spirit is working in your life, okay? It's a simple one. We should always do that. Uh, But I want you to, to do that, especially this week. Um, and, and that will come in handy during the next, uh, next week's service. And the second one is to bring a story, okay? This one is not mandatory, only if you have a story. If you don't have one, don't make one up. Um, but if you have a story, if you can think of a story where God led you to a, an unexpected place, Okay, that might be literally an unexpected place physically or just a situation, but think of a story. God led you to an unexpected place where you said, I never thought I would be here, but because of God, I'm here. Okay, and if you have a story like that, okay, you can send me an email or a text. You can find my information on the website uh, and just say, I have a story and you know, on your name and which service you're gonna be here. Um, and you'll have a chance uh, to maybe share that during the next uh, next service, okay? It doesn't have to be long. Actually, it should be short, um, okay? It doesn't have to be anything extraordinary. Just a story where God led you to an unexpected place. Um, and I hope, uh, I'm nervous about next week, um, but I hope that we'll have a, a, just a different a Sunday morning as we, as we try to do this and worship God together as a community. Um, I hope you guys will have a great Sunday. Thank you.